1: Life is a journey. Where will you go? Will you arrive there? Are we all right? We're having some technical difficulties again today. We'll work through it. Life is a journey, and you never quite know what to expect. But in this journey, what matters is where we end up. If you had a, a trip to make and you got up in the morning and you went and packed your clothing and you packed the car, you got in the car and you began to drive, what direction would you head? Would you just drive aimlessly? Would you get in the car and take whichever road was closest? Whichever road seemed most pleasant to you? No. You would get your GPS and you would check the route. Or if you're old-fashioned, you'd look at a map. And you would follow the route because you want to arrive at your destination. We have a destination to arrive at. John Bunyan called it the celestial city. It's the journey we want to speak together about. I'm reading for you the book Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which is to Come. It's edited by C.J. Lovick. John Bunyan was the author, published by Crossway Publishers. It was published first in 1678. After spending 12 years in jail, he published this volume, written during his jail time, He was in jail because he refused to get a license to preach the gospel. He believed in a free church. He did not believe in state interference or governmental interference in the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Neither did he believe in gaining benefits from the government. He believed that his benefits came from the cross and from Jesus So we've been reading this book together, and it's told the story of how Pilgrim, whose name was Graceless, became more and more convicted of his sin as he read the book, the Bible. And finally, in agony of heart, he flees the city of destruction and begins the long journey toward the celestial city. If you've not read this book, I urge you to purchase it. You can go to our webpage, com. You'll find a link there to Amazon. And I think the price right now is about $16 for this volume. If you're blessed, you may find it much less. I just purchased two from Amazon for $6, new copies. Uh, the The price, if you go to a bookstore, is uh, let 's see if I can find it yes, there it is it 's twenty four ninety five so i 'd invite you to purchase one and and read it to your children, read it to your family, share it together and some of you have been asking about back editions of this of this journey, this pilgrimage that we have shared here on the radio all of that will soon be available at nationalprayerchapel.com we've made the decision this week to put all of those on public youtube so that you can download them at your leisure and enjoy the story of pilgrim's progress so go to nationalprayerchapel.com and there you'll find us streaming live today on video and also all of the back editions of Pilgrim's Progress you'll be able to find there. We'll soon be finishing this book, and then we're going to begin with Christiana. Christiana is the second book in this series written by uh, Jonathan Edwards, or I'm sorry, by John Bunyan. And it's the story of pilgrims or Christians' journey uh, with His Wife Left Behind, and then Christiana's story is the story of Christiana and the children as they make the same journey, but with very different things, with different temptations and different possibilities. So I'm sure you'll also enjoy that. Well, let's begin today. I'm going to begin reading for you in Flattering Enemies and Renewed Trust, on page 189, and then we will stop and we'll talk about what we're sharing. This section that we're going into now begins quite a lengthy discussion on what prompted Hopeful to take this journey, and I suspect that you'll find that helpful. But now they're ready to begin walking into the enchanted land, Then I saw in my dream, this is John Bunyan speaking, that they continued their journey until they came into a region where the air naturally induced sleepiness, if one was not acclimated to it. Here Hopeful began to grow very sluggish and sleepy, and he said to Christian, I'm starting to grow drowsy, and I can scarcely keep my eyes open. Let's lie down and take a nap. Oh, by no means, said Christian, we might fall asleep and never wake up. Well, why so, my brother, Hopeful asked. Sleep is sweet for the travel-weary man, and a little nap would be refreshing. Oh, don't you remember? One of the shepherds told us to beware of the enchanted ground, Christian inquired. He meant that we should beware of sleeping, therefore... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Hopeful agreed, you're right. And had I been here alone, I would be asleep by now and in danger of death. What the wise man says is true. Two are better than one. Your company has been God's mercy to me, and you shall have a good reward for your labor. Now then, said Christian, To prevent us from becoming drowsy in this place, perhaps we should have a good discussion. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree, said Hopeful. Where shall we begin? Where God began with us, Hopeful suggested. But you begin if you please. Then Christian began saying, I will ask you a question. What made you decide to begin this journey? He's now going to begin asking a series of six or seven questions. And I would urge you, as I consider these questions, to ask yourself the same questions. What made you decide to begin this journey, or have you yet begun the journey? Some of you have still not yet really become serious about the journey toward the celestial city. You're still wandering about in Vanity Fair, looking at all of the pretty things and and wishing you could own them. But I ask you, consider carefully this question, what made you decide to begin this journey? And now he goes on. Do you mean to ask how I first became concerned about the condition of my soul? Hopeful questioned, yes, that is what I mean. So the question is, what made you decide to begin this journey? But the underbelly of that question is, how did you first become concerned about the condition of your soul? And are you concerned about the condition of your soul? Hopeful began. For a long time, I was delighted with all the things you could see and buy at Vanity Fair. I am certain that had I continued in this way, I would have been drowned in perdition and destruction. What kinds of things are you talking about? Christian wondered. All the treasures and riches of the world, Hopeful said. Also, I delighted in rioting and reveling, drinking, swearing, lying, uncleanness, Sabbath-breaking, and all the other things that destroy the soul. But one day I began to hear and consider things that are divine, which I heard from you and beloved faithful, who was put to death for his faith and the testimony of his good life in Vanity Fair. I was convinced that the end of these things is death, and that for these things' sake cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So you see the setup now for this discussion. I wish I could have this discussion with you right now. And I would ask you, when did you first become concerned about the condition of your soul? And then, what was it in your heart that caused you to begin to think about these things? Our phone number here in the studio is 877 534 My name is Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel, and you're welcome to join us today. You know the question that I'm going to ask you. And the question is, when did you first become concerned about the condition of your soul? And and what have you done with this question? How are you walking with Jesus? So our number is eight seven seven five three four zero seven eight zero. Hi Sandy. Welcome. What would I you like you to share? How are you? Good.
2: Good. Um, I don't know if you got my email uh, last night, but I fell yesterday and really got hurt. I was going up my stairs during the rain and rushing, and I fell backwards about four steps down, landing very hard on the concrete on my left hip. And... um, Jesus was so merciful because I did not lose consciousness and I'm going, Okay, I'm alive. I did not lose consciousness and I sat up and I went, Thank you, Jesus. I can sit up and um I had to call a neighbor to ask his help to to get me inside and uh I'd just been praising Jesus that I can walk Yes, and uh, I, I got this. You know, my whole left side is beautiful colors, <laughs> but um, he was just Jesus was just so merciful. I mean, he allowed the the whole situation to happen, but he just it was just incredible that I'm walking and I did not hit my head, and it was just. I've just been praising him because this 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 was a big this was a big deal. I landed hard on the sidewalk.
1: You know, Sandy, as I as I read today's material, you're a little bit ahead of me. Okay. Um because he John Bunyan would come back and ask you a question. And his question to you would be, does this mercy of God cause you to be even more concerned that your life be clean before God?
2: Uh, Emphatic yes, (laughs) because...
1: Because this could have been the day of judgment for you.
2: Yes, it could have been. I could have uh, hit my head. I could have died. Yes. And he was so merciful.
1: And it really raises the question, is there any area of your heart or your life where you know you're not right with Jesus, and you need to consider carefully his mercy and his grace and praise him for that, and then allow him to quicken you in any area he needs to
2: i I read that I hear that
1: mhm, okay, anything else you'd like to share?
2: well, at three o'clock, I have that um a job interview. So I'm just asking that you please pray because I am dizzy and my friend will be taking me to the job interview. So uh, I just ask that um, his mercy will abound again with whatever his whatever Jesus decision is concerning
1: this. Lord, I just lift Sandy up now and thank you for your mercy to her. Lord, I thank you that you have protected her from bodily harm, and preserved her life. And I ask, Lord, that as she goes to this job interview, that you would give her favor, that she would know it is nothing of her ability that has gained this favor. Amen. It is simply your mercy and your kindness and your grace. For, Lord, we don't deserve your mercy, but you have poured it out with abundance and into our hearts and into our lives. So I pray that you will bring forth the result of this job interview that will bring glory to your name. For Lord Sandy simply wants to serve you. And Lord, I thank you for the mercy and the grace that she's testifying to. And Lord, I ask your blessing now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sandy, let me know what happens with this job interview.
2: I will. Thank you. You're welcome. Love you. Bye.
1: These kinds of events in our lives were things that are described in just a moment in our book, The Pilgrim's Progress, that cause us to look even more carefully at the sin of our heart and determine whether there is such or whether we are totally given over into the hand of God and whether his arms are about us, not just in mercy, but also in washing and cleansing and making whole. Let's come back now. By the way, the number again is 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call and share where you are in this journey that we're speaking about. I hope you're catching that for Bunyan, this was a very deliberate journey. This was not without a destination. It was a conscious choosing of a destination and then being willing to pay whatever price was necessary to move toward that destination. So that every day had a very clear purpose. And it was a twofold purpose. First, it was to make his way toward that celestial city. And two, it was to use all of his energy, time, and money in the service of Jesus Christ. Just before I came on the air, I called and spoke with a dear brother. And he was going into a meeting an important meeting, and he said to me, my only prayer, Pastor, is that everything be put in its proper place, that I could serve Jesus. See, that's the heart of a redeemed man or woman, that everything be put in its proper place so that we could serve Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of our saying, oh, look at the trouble I'm in, Lord, come and help me, come and come and rescue me, come and do this and that. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to say, Jesus, how can I help you in the work of ministry today? As I'm on this journey, as I'm f- dealing with all Apollyon wants to bring against me, as I'm pressing forward on my journey, how could I be of service to you today, Jesus? So then my cry is not, Jesus, help me. My cry is, Jesus, may I help you, knowing that Jesus will come and supply all of my need to accomplish what his purpose is as I press toward the mark or the celestial city. And so I pray for strength, I pray for courage, I pray for understanding, I pray for resources, all for the purpose of the work of God, all for the purpose of the journey toward heaven, the journey toward that new Jerusalem, that celestial city. That's where Jesus is. And that's where my heart is. I was sharing with some friends this last weekend that I'm finding myself in a very strange position because I find there is nothing here to hold me anymore. That already in my spirit, I'm on the other side. In my spirit, I'm already in the celestial city. I'm not here anymore. Now, I'll remain here as long as the Lord desires for me to remain, that I could serve you, that I could do this radio broadcast, that I could care for my children and my grandchildren, that I could reach out, as Bunyan spoke about, as I'm making my way with this physical body toward the celestial city, to reach out and bring as many as possible with me, But in my spirit, I'm already there. I know my home is heaven. I'm an alien and a stranger here. I'm just traveling through. And I'm sure you've experienced this as you've considered vacation. And somebody says to you, you're really not here, are you? No. I'm already in the Caribbean. I'm already on that island, I'm at St. John's, I'm, or I'm in Florida, or I'm in Canada, or I'm wherever the vacation's going to be, I'm already on vacation. And they function differently in this realm once they are already in their mind and heart on vacation. Well, I'm already in heaven. That's where I want to be. And that's where every ounce of my energy and time are devoted to being in that celestial city with Jesus and taking as many of you with me as I can. Let's continue our reading. For a long time I was delighted with all the things you could see and buy at Vanity Fair. And by the way, you can buy Mercedes in Vanity Fair. You can buy every kind of high-end automobile and every kind of beautiful house, every kind of entertainment. You can buy anything your heart desires in Vanity Fair. I'm certain that had I continued in this way, I would have been drowned in perdition and destruction. What kinds of things are you talking about, Christian wondered? All the treasures and riches of the world, hopeful said. Also, I delighted in rioting and reveling, drinking, swearing, lying, uncleanness. Now, I've got to stop. I hear people say, hey, come on, let's go out tonight and have a good time. Well, what does that good time entail? It entails getting drunk, maybe picking up a woman or a woman picking up a guy and doing a one-night stand. It involves laughing and telling dirty jokes. It involves all kinds of uncleanness for many people. That's what hopeful's talking about. He's saying, I delighted in rioting, in reveling, in drinking and swearing, lying, uncleanness, Sabbath-breaking, and all the other things that destroy the soul. But one day I began to hear and consider things that are divine, which I'd heard from you and the beloved faithful who was put to death for his faith and the testimony of his good life in Vanity Fair. I was convinced that the end of these things is death, and that for these things' sake cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And did you immediately come under the power of this conviction? No, I was not immediately willing to acknowledge the evil of sin or the damnation that follows sinning. When my mind began to be stirred by the word, I tried to shut my eyes to the truth of it. What kept you from understanding that God was working through his blessed spirit to bring you to himself? The reasons were as follows. First of all, I was ignorant that this was the work of God in my life since I never imagined that God begins his work of conviction or conversion in a sinner's heart by awakening him to his sin. I need to stop there and say the sign that God is beginning to work in your life is that you begin to be convicted of sin. If you have no conviction of sin, it has to be for one of two reasons. Either you've already been washed and made clean by the blood, and you're no longer walking in any rebellion or sin against God. Or two, you've hardened your heart against the work of the Holy Spirit. And by hardening your heart against the Holy Spirit, his conviction no longer moves in your spirit, in your soul. I was in that condition a number of years ago. Someone said to me, Pastor, you need to repent. I said, come on, what do I have to repent of? I repented of my sins when I was converted. I don't have anything to repent of, which was an utter untruth. I was pastoring a seeker-sensitive church. It was a a go-go rock and roll church with all the action of today's modern church. I was ambitious. I was filled with selfishness. I was walking in all kinds of unbelief and hostility. I had unforgiveness in my heart. I was bitter. I look back and I shudder. I say, Lord, I was so blind. None of that changed until a great hunger upon my dad's death. As I stood at his casket, a great hunger began to rise up in my soul because I was looking at my father's life and it was a righteous life. It was a life of sacrifice. It was a life of giving for the gospel of Jesus. It was a life of humble service. And I began to compare myself with my dad. And the Holy Spirit used that and began to bring me under deep conviction of sin. And I went back to my prayer closet and I did something I'd never done before. I said, Lord, I'm going to give you one hour a day to deal with my heart. And I would leave my office and I would go to that prayer closet and I'd get on my knees. And the first day, after 10 minutes, I'd said everything I had to say, I was done. But I had the alarm clock set for one hour because I'd promised Jesus one hour. Remember, he said to the disciples, could you not even wait and pray for one hour? I said, okay, Lord, I'll do the hour. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. So just by the leading of the Spirit, not through any wisdom of my own, I had my Bible with me, and on my knees I began to read the Psalms out loud to Jesus as my prayer. And the Psalms, David, King David taught me how to pray. I learned to pray by reading the Psalms out loud to God. And that prayer time began to move from one hour a day to two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. I would be in the prayer closet struggling with God. Remember the story of Jonathan Edwards? He was in the prayer closet for 18 hours a day. Until his church became so disgusted with him and so angry with him, they finally fired him. It was his grandpa's church. It was filled with what he called the half-converted. His grandpa had opened the door for membership for the half-converted. These were the people who wanted the services of the church. They wanted prayer meeting. They wanted a worship service, they wanted the communion, they wanted uh, baptisms, they wanted burials, funerals, they wanted marriage ceremonies, but they were not sold out to Jesus and they walked in known sin. Edwards called them the half converted. And finally, in his desperation, out of those 18 hours a day, month after month in his prayer closet, He penned the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and he preached it in his church, and they yawned at him. A neighboring church heard about it, and they asked him to please come preach it there. And one of the greatest revivals in American history broke out, as men and women thought they were being tilted into hell, and when they saw their true condition before God, they repented. Well, Edwards Church fired him, and he went from there and pastored a, a little group of native Indian children. He taught them how to read. He tutored them in reading by teaching them to read the Bible, and it's while he was in that humble place of service that Princeton University invited him to come and be the president of their university. Well, today we're in a very similar place. Sinners in the hands of an angry God could be proclaimed on this radio, and many of you would just yawn. But I pray some of you are being convicted, and you're beginning to consider your sin, and you're beginning to turn your heart toward heaven, and you're beginning to pay the price to follow after Jesus Christ. And then there are others of you who are like me, many years in this journey, earnest and desirous of arriving, Let's go back to our story. What kept you from understanding that God was working through his blessed spirit to bring you to himself? Hopeful said, first of all, I was ignorant that this was the work of God in my life since I never imagined that God begins his work of conviction in a sinner's life by awakening him to his sin. And by the way, if you get angry with this broadcast, as some of you have said you do, It's because the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict you of your sin. So don't throw it off. Let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Then there was the appeal that sin held over my flesh. I was reluctant, he said, to abandon it. Another reason I refused then to repent was that I did not want to part ways with my old companions whose company and entertainments were very desirable to me. Finally, the times in which I came under the conviction of sin were so troublesome and so frightening that I did everything I could to cast these times out of my memory. Then there were times when you were not in trouble. Then there were times when you were not troubled in your mind and soul, asked Christian. Yes, Hopeful said, that is true, but it would creep back into my mind and then my soul would be troubled as it was before, even worse. Well, what was it that brought your mind back around to the sin that you were living in? Hopeful answered, well, many things did this. It was, if I met a good man in the street, or if I heard the Bible being read aloud, or if I, if I had a headache, or if I was sick, if I was told that some of my neighbors were sick, or if I heard the bell toll for the dead, or if I thought of dying, I heard about someone's death. And lastly, the thing that brought my sin to mind and troubled my soul worse than all these other things was when I thought to myself that I must quickly come to judgment. And when these things reminded you of your sin, Christian said, could you find relief from the sense of guilt that your sin caused? No, I could not, hopeful said. If I even thought about returning to one of my previous sins, my conscience would torment me. And then what did you think? I thought about changing my ways. I was afraid that if I did not, I would be damned. And did you try to change your ways? Yes. Not only did I flee from my sin, but from sinful company also, and I... I took up religious duties such as prayer and Bible reading and weeping for my sins, speaking the truth to my neighbors, and so on. I did all these things and, and many others too numerous to relate. And did this give you peace of mind? Well, Yes, for a while. But in the end, my troubles came tumbling back upon me despite all of my reformation. And how did that come about since you were now reformed? Well, several things brought it about. I began to read in my Bible where it said things like, all our righteousness is as filthy rags, and by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And when ye shall have done all these things, say, we're unprofitable, and many other such sayings. Then I began to reason with myself, if all of my righteousness is as filthy rags, if, if by the deeds of the law no one can be justified, and and if when we've done all we can do, we, we still remain unprofitable, then it's folly to think that I'll enter heaven by keeping the law. It also occurred to me that if a man runs a hundred pounds into debt with a shopkeeper and then begins to pay cash for everything else he purchases while leaving the old debt unpaid, the shopkeeper can rightfully sue him and cast him into prison until he pays all of his past debt. Well, how did you apply this to yourself? Well, I thought about how great a debt of sin I'd run up in God's book and how even I reformed myself, but I still could not pay off the debt. So how could I be freed from the damnation that I brought upon myself by my former transgressions? A good application, but go on. I want to stop a minute and just say, God's wrath is on all men. God hates all men in this world. Now I know it says, For God so loved the world, and he does. But he hates sin, and he doesn't separate the sin from the sinner. He hates sin, and he hates men who sin. There has to be a redemption from sin. If there is no redemption from sin, there is no redemption. Either God must save us from our sin, not in our sin, or there is no redemption for us. Some of you believe the lie that you are saved in your sin. That's simply unbiblical. There's no basis for that in Scripture. We are not saved in our sin. We are saved from our sin. Even the risen Lord says this in the book of Revelation. We are safe from our sin. But then Hopeful continues. When I carefully looked into my new best efforts, I saw that they were mixed up with sin. I was forced to conclude that even if I could conceivably ignore all past sins, including the sin of pride and conceit, (laughs) all of my former good deeds, that I'd I'd indeed committed enough sin in one of my most recent good duties to send me to hell, even if my former life had been somehow found faultless. What did you do then? Do. I couldn't figure out what to do until I shared my concern with faithful, for he and I were well acquainted. He told me that unless I could obtain the righteousness of a man— who never had sinned, neither my own righteousness nor all the righteousness of the world could save me. And did you think he spoke the truth? He told me he told me this when I was pleased and satisfied with my reformed life. I, I think if I had not recognized my sin, I would have called him a fool for his pains. But since I was now aware of my own weakness and the sin that cleaves to my best performance, I was forced to believe. But did you think when he suggested it to you that there was a man of whom it might justly be said that he had never committed sin? I must confess that the words sounded strange at first, but after keeping company and talking with faithful I finally believed that there was such a man. Did you ask him who that man was and how you could be justified by him? Yes, Hopeful replied. He told me it was the Lord Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Most High. He told me that I could be justified by him if I would trust in him and trust in what he himself had done in the days when he lived on the earth when he suffered and hung on the tree i have a song i want to share with you today it's about jesus it's sung by conlan carter a, a dear brother who is the pastor of the times square church in manhattan let's listen to this song <laughs>
0: the truth I long to see. God said one day I'd be free. All trying led to failure. That's when I heard him whisper. Just none of me. And endless celebration When I found him in wondrous jubilee Should you ask, I'll gladly tell you Of the key to our salvation All of Jesus, none of me Jesus, all of Jesus all of Jesus none of me all of Jesus all of Jesus all of Jesus of me.
1: Revelation, the first chapter, I want to read for you, beginning in verse 4, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the king's of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. All of Jesus, none of me. That song has just been going through my mind now from the very moment I awakened this morning. All of Jesus, none of me. And you notice the scripture says that he loves us. And secondly, he has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has not simply acquitted us. He has acquitted us for our sins, but he's done much more than that. He's also freed us from our sins. I want to read that to you from the scriptures found in the book of Romans. I'll begin in the fifth chapter, verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of our trespasses was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. And that word justification is not decusune, It's another Greek word that means acquittal. It means the past was wiped out. So that takes care of our past sins. That's what Jesus does for us. He wipes away every sin of the past, regardless of what you have done. One young man said to me, Pastor, I've been to the massage parlors. I've been to prostitutes. I've done every unclean thing. Can I be forgiven? I said, yes, Jesus can forgive you and wants to forgive you, and he'll wipe away that uncleanness from your memory. He will wipe it away. Stand by faith, and I talked with him about the blood and the work of the blood in cleansing him for his past. I said, now let's talk about what he'll do for you today. Verse 19 For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous, not declared righteous, made righteous. The law was added so that the trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace does not reign through sin. Grace reigns through Dikasune. It reigns through righteousness. Chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? so that grace may increase. So Paul wants to totally put down this unreasoning belief that I could walk in my sin and still be saved. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Therefore, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Literally, that done away with means to be utterly destroyed, to be utterly destroyed, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So let's be very plain. If you're saying that you are a Christian and you have reformed your life, that does not yet mean that you can enter the celestial city. You're on the journey, but in that condition, you will not be allowed entrance Into that holy place. No unclean thing can enter that place. No unclean person can enter that place. Paul is saying that if the old self was crucified with Christ, then the body of sin has been destroyed, and you have been freed from sin. If you have not yet been freed from your sin, you will not enter the celestial city. If you're still walking in known rebellion against the Most High God, if you're still walking in those sins that you're compromising with, the Holy Spirit has told you, put those video games away, and you've said, oh, why would he want me to do that? I enjoy them. If the Holy Spirit has said to you, stop, the fornication, stop the sexual uncleanness. If the Holy Spirit has said to you, stop lying, stop stealing, the Holy Spirit, through his word and by conviction of sin in your heart, has told you to lay aside that sin, and you have not done it, but you continue to walk in your sin against the Most High, you have not yet been freed from your sin, and you will not be able to enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot be in sin and in Christ at the same time. Now, this raises a very, very difficult play, point, and it's one that we need to seriously consider. Are we saved? Don't be so sure. If you're walking in known sin before God, if you're walking in rebellion against the Most High, then you're not saved. And you need to deal with your sin. And a little reformation is not going to turn it around. You're going to have to be crucified with Christ. You're going to have to live. All of Jesus and none of you. Almighty God, Would you deal with the heart of each who's listening today? Would you pour out your grace for them? Would you teach them to say no to ungodliness? Would you you send the precious power of your Spirit to bring deep conviction that they would cry out to you? Lord, would you allow your blood to wash them and make them clean? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'll talk with you again tomorrow. God bless you.
0: great joy, with great joy. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory.